through 19. Deuteronomy 26, 16 through 19. This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore, you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God, that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments, and that you will obey his voice. Also today the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments, and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made, in praise, in name, and in honor, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. Good morning, everybody. And welcome to all. Welcome especially to the many visitors that are with us this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Thank you, Todd, for the reflections this morning at the Lord's Supper, bringing out the stirring love of the Savior toward us in His going to the cross sacrificially and dying for us. And now the rest of the story. Luke 24, 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. Verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus Himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know Him. And He said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you are sad? Verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as they sat at the table with the, as he sat at the table with them that he took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them 
Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the Scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. The Lord is risen indeed. And he expounded to us from Moses and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. From Moses and all the scriptures. If we are observant in our reading, we will indeed find in Moses that he spoke of the Christ. To see that, we can turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, but let's just flip forward a few pages through the book of John to the book of Acts, and you'll see Peter. On that great day when the gospel began to be preached from Jerusalem, in chapter 3, late in the afternoon of the same day as we read of in chapter 2, which was early in the morning, He says to those who were listening, who had chanted and cheered that the Lord be crucified, He said, Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers, that is, to put the Christ to death. Verse 18, But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all His prophets, that the Christ would suffer, He has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, and here is the quote from Deuteronomy 18, where we are in our Scripture readings this week as we read through the Old Testament together. Peter quotes and says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets, Peter goes on to say, from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers. Quoting Genesis 12:3. now, the heart of that promise that was made and was kept through the Old Testament to the coming of Christ and fulfilled, and we enjoy, he quotes, which God made to our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up His servant Jesus, sent Him to bless you, and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. I think they've made it quite clear that the Scriptures of the Old Testament are full of prophecy, don't you? that these things were things that were anticipated by those who were reading carefully. We have the hindsight today, but it was still very clear to them if they were observant in the Old Testament 
at all through the exodus and the wilderness wandering that God was preparing a people for a transformation, demonstrating His power and His love to a people from whom He will demand wholehearted devotion. These are the seeds of the life and love which has been offered to us all today. Being full of love sounds indeed pretty appealing. For us, like they, it is the emptying part that is the challenge. Emptying ourselves of all of the world's affections. And there, though there may be uh, four chambers in the human heart, there's only one chamber in the spiritual heart. There's only one chamber. It cannot host two masters. It cannot host two loves. It cannot host two wives. No, but there is room for one, Jesus said. And so John urges in his first letter, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2.15 Before a worldly man, which we by nature grow into in this life, we are from birth surrounded by nature. We're surrounded by the material. It's what we first learn and know and see and can feel. By it, we are felt or to be felt secure. By it, we are entertained. We are, our affections are given over to the things of the world that bring us pleasure. And God knows that before we can see the King in His beauty, there must be performed a work of God upon the heart to know something better. Something better must be presented. And today we're going to emphasize that before a man can love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, that he must replace egocentrism, selfishness. He must replace this with the gospel, with the story of the love of Jesus Christ. Thomas Chalmers, in a powerful sermon in 18th century America, wrote about this replacement effect. He wrote that to bid a man into whom there has not yet entered the great and ascendant influence of the principle of regeneration, that is, to be born again, to bid him to withdraw his love from all the things that are in the world, is to bid him give up all the affections that are in his heart. To the natural man, he says, the world is his all. He loves nothing above it, he cares for nothing beyond it, and to bid him love not the world, as John proposes in 1 John 2.15, to love not the world, he says this he might do with sore and painful reluctance. If he saw that the salvation of his life hung upon it, but this he would do willingly if he saw that a new property of tenfold value was instantly to emerge from the wreck of the old one. 
In this case, there is something more than the mere displacement of an affection. There is the overbearing of one affection by another. But to desolate his heart of all love for the things of the world, Chalmers says, without the substitution of any love in its place, were to him a process of unnatural violence as to destroy all the things that he has in the world and give, it, give him nothing in its room, in its empty place. God knows this. God does not just come down and tell us to stop it. God comes down and presents to us the story of His love to fill our hearts. And until we can grasp that, until we can be presented with the gospel story that is that thing of greater ascendancy that He speaks of, there is no way we're going to let go of our affections of the world. That's all we have. We would be left, as Chalmers says, empty and void in heart with nothing to which we may direct our affections. In the Exodus and in the wilderness, God is making a great plea to this people, Israel, that He is worthy of all their affection. He's demonstrating. He's leading. He's providing. He's powerfully working wonders signs and miracles among them. He's protecting. He's promising greater aspirations if they'll only hold dear His words. You see, the two disciples on the way to Emmaus were reasoning about these things. Interestingly, I heard uh, an interview, just a short piece of an interview with Bono, the, the famous rock star of U2. And he was being pressed, as the media does, to confess the Lord Jesus or not. It was quite interesting. And he said, if he did not rise from the dead, Bono said this, if he did not rise from the dead, then he was a madman, a lunatic. And I would have no practice with him. But I do practice. And so without actually saying, I believe that He rose from the dead, He said, I believe He rose from the dead. You see, He was reasoning about this. Even this man was reasoning about this and said, if this didn't happen, it's a waste of time. And it's a waste of our time. Your faith is vain. You're all in your sin. We should go home. Literally. Or Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that's a game changer. And they reasoned thus, and they concluded thus. The tomb was found empty. The Roman soldiers are on guard. He said He would raise from the dead, and Jesus had to say, that's the message from the beginning of the creation, guys. This has been the message from, Moses, from Adam, actually, but from Moses and all the prophets. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. And... By Him it shall be required. We shall give an account. He'll be more, even more than just a mere leader of His people. He'll be more than just a prophet. He will be someone to whom all men must give an account of their lives. 
hear him. And is it any surprise then when the Lord Jesus came forth from the water of his baptism that the Lord said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And on the Mount of Transfiguration said, hear him. This is him. John said, I do testify that this is the one I heard the voice from heaven confirm. He's risen from the dead. That is the message that changes lives. Jehovah knows that old affections die hard. He knows that no man will empty his heart when it's more disparaging than filling it with worldliness, even sinfulness, that is painful as well as pleasurable. But that narcissism and self-love be dispossessed if something of greater worth and aspiration is presented. And so the great revelation of God to His people to empty themselves. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'm going to give you three examples of this replacement. Displacement. Not alone displacement. Replacement. I believe this is one of the great problems for new Christians. We are teaching to forsake all and follow Jesus. We are teaching that things are sinful and there are things that are worthy. But we must refill the heart as those who see the value of the gospel empty themselves of the world, or else, as Jesus taught, lest one demon be removed, seven move in in its place. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, Moses said to them. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for Himself a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because He would keep the oath which He swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments, and He repays those who hate Him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with Him who hates Him. He will repay Him to His face. Verse 17, So if you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I. How can I dispossess them? Speaking of the land of Canaan and all the peoples there that they were to go in and dispossess and take possession of that land. How can I dispossess them? He said, you shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well that the Lord your God, what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm, 
by which the Lord your God brought you out, so shall the Lord your God do to the peoples of whom you're afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until those who are left, who hide themselves from you, are destroyed. You shall not be terrified of them. For the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among you. Replace your fear of loss. Replace your fear of death with what you have come to know and understand. Reason correctly about this. Recall what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. Recall what He has done as He's led you through this great and terrible wilderness, as it states in an earlier chapter, through fiery serpents and scorpions and the heat of the sun. And He's led you through feeding you with manna from above and water from a rock. Recall this and now revisit this situation. These people are taller than you. They're mightier than you. They're better equipped and armed than you are. But God is awesome, and it is He who goes before you. But God, the great and awesome God. Let us practice that in our lives. Let me give you an example of what this may look like played out in the life of a young couple that I came to know in Athens, Ohio, students at Ohio University, Engaged to be married, the young man had been baptized into Christ by one of his peers two years prior, had been studying along, met a nice young lady, was teaching her and studying with her, and she was, her heart was turning over to God, and she finally wanted to be baptized into Christ. And so she was baptized into Christ, they became Christians together. She's going to pursue a master's degree in another state, at another university, he was done with his schooling, and he decided he would follow her, that they might be together, and that she could finish her work, and that he would try to find some work. But essentially, they're moving to a new place with no income. The world says it would cost twice as much for us to live apart. God would say, remain pure until you're married. They had a plan to live together out of practicality. I encouraged them. And I said, don't be afraid to listen to God and trust in Him. You'll never know if you don't. You'll never experience God's providence and His power and, and what He can do for you if at times like this, when you're faced with what the world may say to do, and what God would say to do, you'll never know. They left. They didn't say okay or nay. They left. About two weeks later, I got a phone call from this young man, and he said, we want to thank you for reminding us to have courage in faith. We did not live together. We decided that we would live apart. And the first day that we attended worship service, we were invited over to someone's house for dinner. It was one of the elders of the church there. He asked what our plans were. We said, well, we're walking by faith at the moment. 
The young man said he hired me to start work the next day on his construction crew. The young man had construction experience. He said, so I made more money than I thought I would make doing anything that I thought I could possibly do the day after we walked in and met the saints. These are the types of things that you do when you want to be obedient to God by faith. And He will provide for you. Do not fear losing, but walk by faith and trust Him. The second thing is, replace self-glorification with humility. Look in the next chapter, chapter 8, verse 10. When you've eaten and are full over in that land, when you've eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today, lest... Now jump over to verse 17. Lest then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Israel was going to be tempted to say, look what we've acquired. Look what I've done. But God says very clearly through Moses, it is God who gives one the power to get wealth. It is God who powers all of our prosperity and success. Here in the next month, the seeds will go in the ground. The farmers will put them in. They'll work hard doing it. They'll take advantage of the weather and work morning to night and through the night to get these fields planted. And yet all they're going to do is take the germ of life which has been given them from the previous year, from the previous year, from the previous year, from the previous year, put it in the ground and cover it up. Maybe pray, I hope. And then God will germinate that seed and He will send the rain of heaven and make it grow. It's not by the power of our might that we eat. And we'll go to work and use our hands or our minds or both and produce things. We'll inspire through teaching. We will create through engineering. We will uh, produce through hard labor products and fruit that we can see. Remember, that is God who gives you the power and the might to eat, to create, to live. Your mind, your brain is created by Him and we can't even explain it. Do not forget these things. Replace this self-glorification rather with the humility of knowing that the great and awesome God is still among us. And the evidence is all around us. All year long, 24-7. Let us not forget that. Let us not forget that it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, 2 Corinthians 4-6, in the face of Jesus Christ. 
we look Him in the face, we can see the power of God working through Him to give Him the glory, to put it on Him, to empty ourselves. Finally, replacing self-righteousness with grace. Ah, chapter 9, verse 4. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you, that He may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abram, Isaac and Jacob. Therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. What do we replace that with? God sure seems to be putting these people in His place now, doesn't He? What do we replace self-righteousness with? The righteousness of Christ. Where is boasting on my part, Paul said, if it's not in Christ Jesus my Lord, who has removed all my sin? You see, we must also be careful not to be tempted, as the Israelites were, to look around us, to look perhaps at those today who didn't come to an Easter Sunday service and condemn. Perhaps those uh, of, of Christendom, who don't believe like we believe, lest we look down our nose in contempt as if we know all of their hearts and all of the direction of their hearts and minds and condemn. Because the Lord would say to us, it is not because of your righteousness that you're going to go to heaven. It's not because of yours. It's because of the righteousness of Christ as He stated in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He took our sins upon Himself. Took our sins upon His body in the tree and became the righteousness of God. We became the righteousness of God in Him. So, we replace self-righteousness with grace and in turn, return gratitude. And until these things are moved out of the heart, the fullness of the Gospel and the blessing of Christ, and the promise of eternal life, and our hope in it, and our confidence in it, will not be able to blossom. And yet God understands that the first must be presented, the gospel, before a man will ever let go of the affections of his heart. And so this is why we must be about the preaching of the gospel. The story of love, which Todd shared with us at the Lord's table, which you heard about in the triumphant resurrection of Christ from the dead. Will you replace it? Chalmers says, in a word, if the way to disengage the heart from the positive love of one great and ascendant object, the world, is to fasten it in positive love to another Christ, then it's not by exposing the worthlessness of the former, but by addressing to the mental eye the worth excellent of the latter, to obliterate all our present affections by simply expunging them, and so as to leave the seat of our heart unoccupied, would be to destroy the old character and substitute no new character in its place. But when they resign to sway to the power and predominance of new affections, 
Jesus Christ, we see how in fullest accordance with the mechanism of the heart, a great moral revolution may be made to take place upon it. And so we come to this great passage, and I'll leave you with this, where Moses said, this is the day of salvation. This is the day. He said, this day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments, therefore you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today, you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God. And that you will walk in His ways and keep His statutes, His commandments and His judgments. And that you will obey His voice. Also today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be His special people. Just as He promised you, that you should keep all His commandments. And that He will set you high above the nations which He has made. In praise, in name, and in honor. And that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God just as He has spoken. Christ Jesus will set you high above the nations by His righteousness if you only reach out and take hold of it. He emptied Himself for you. Will you empty yourself for Him? That decision is yours. We're going to stand and sing the song that Rodney has chosen. If you need to become a Christian today, don't leave without doing so. Let's stand and sing.